This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. Book of Philippians, chapter 2. We cleared chapter 1 last week, I believe. I know we, we spent the entire study on the last paragraph of, verse, of chapter 1, where he reminds us to let our conversation, that means our manner of life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. And then he goes right into the next chapter. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So he's reinforcing what he taught at the end of the previous chapter. He, he put forth a call to unity, unity of mind, unity of spirit, between the believers, between the members of the body of Christ, be they ministers, church members, whatever office or position that they might hold within the body of Christ, be they a hand or a foot or an eye in the body, so to speak. He put forth that call to unity in the previous uh, paragraph and he puts it out again here, reinforces it here. If there be any consolation at all in Christ, he's saying, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he says, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. All of us believing the same thing. All of us having and being true in the common faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not one person believing that Jesus is Messiah and another person believing that he was just a great teacher, uh, but he gave us some great lessons. And another person believing that, you know, oh, well, Buddhists are also going to make it in because they're OK, too. There was actually I don't think it gained much ground, but over 100 years ago and during I want to say it was during the height of the New Thought movement. And that's something that we've brought up occasionally here. The New Thought movement that. Uh, was an understandably optimistic but unjustifiably optimistic view on the human condition. It was the it held along with many things. It held a belief that people were basically good. We know from the Bible that people are basically not good. In fact, they are the opposite of good. People are basically bad, and we are born into that condition. How it gets expressed varies somewhat between people and to what extent, and all of that. But there was a there was a belief held by many key people within the New Thought movement that 
There were some people that were just saved automatically, even if they'd never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. They were just saved because they were good moral folks or they belonged to a school of thought or a religion or a philosophy that lined up mostly more or less with Christianity. But that simply is not true. And to be of a divided mind within the church or to be of a divided mind within the body of Christ, that is not unity. That's the opposite of unity. That's Oh, man, do I dare say it like this? Diversity of doctrine is not ideal. And that's putting it mildly. Okay, diversity of color. Fine. Diversity of gender. Well, there's only two of those, but that's perfectly fine. You know, however you want to look at that. But diversity of doctrine where you have people uh, and, and that's what you find in, I believe, in multi-denominational or interdenominational churches is you find a diversity of doctrine which breeds confusion, it breeds debating, it breeds all kinds of problem, not the least of which is heresy. So what he's calling us to again here in the beginning of chapter 2 of Philippians is unity, unity of mind, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then in verse 3, he launches into this next part right here. And this is more practical Christianity. Remember what our tagline is to this series of teachings. It's letters to young churches. Yes. Known also as, this is how we do it. This is how we live the Christian life. This is how we observe and practice the Christian faith. So he says here in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So taking this whole paragraph together, verses 1 through 4, we find a call to unity and to humility and to service to one another. Verse three, verse three, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, we don't have I, I wouldn't say that I've seen any kind of a problem with that necessarily here in our church. Someone trying to get up and over someone else, someone trying to uh, gain some sort of preeminence or whatever, because they want a name or a position or that sort of thing. We're not supposed to do anything with a motive of strife. We know what that is, striving with one another. It speaks of conflict. It speaks of either a cold or a hot conflict, whether it's two people duking it out in a hot-blooded argument or even a fight, or whether it's two people cold-shouldering one another forever, amen, because they can't get over some sort of slight or personal offense that they perceived that may or may not have even been real to begin with. That's strife. That is not unity. And it's not humility. It's the opposite of both. Do we see, do we perceive the importance of the love of God and the Spirit of God in all of the believers? Do we see that in some of what He's teaching us here? So He's called us to unity, not just unity of belief and unity of doctrine, but He's called us to unity of the Spirit. And He even says the same love. He speaks of love again between the believers within the body of Christ. So let's put that question out there. Do you love one another 
like family is supposed to love one another. Now, I chose that language very carefully. See, yeah, I love, the, I love my brother and sister in Christ. I, I love them just like family. I hate all of them too. There's people that are like that. So they've got sisters, brothers, uncles, parents, aunts, grandparents, or whatever, where there's, there's no love there. There's fighting. Or if there's love, it's buried under, it's buried under miles of dysfunction. Or I should say under years and years of dysfunction, hard feelings, and all kinds of just really bad blood that's there. We're not supposed to love one another like that. We're supposed to love one another like family is supposed to love one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ. So do you look at your sister and think, that's my sister and that's my sister in Christ. We're, we are united by blood and we're united in the love of Jesus Christ by the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Do you view your brother that way? That's my brother in the Lord. Do you identify with them on the same level as that of family? Now, I know we beat that drum a lot, but it's very important. It's very, very important because, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. You come before my natural family. You come before them. Because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are, as Jesus said way back there in the Gospels, who are my mother and my brethren? They which hear the word of God and do it. The same is my mother and my brethren. And then he, I think he actually gestured to the people that were sitting round about him to hear from him, to learn from the master. He said, behold, my mother and my brethren. Well, that wasn't just for him and it wasn't just for the disciples way back there at the beginning of the church or back there during the Gospels, which was laying the foundation for the church. It is for all of us here today and now. Your brothers, your sisters in Christ. Who are they? The ones that are sitting here with you right now. So be we have believed upon the Lord. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. The ones that meet with us on a Sunday morning. If so be they love the Lord and they are redeemed by the Lord. They are your family closer even than blood. It doesn't mean you blow off blood family. We're not saying that. We're not taking what Jesus said about hating mother or father and, and taking it to its most literal extreme. Okay, It simply speaks of preference. I'd rather be around believers any day of the week. And I love my natural family. I really do. And to one degree or another, they are ostensibly believers themselves. But I'd rather be around folks that are of one mind and of one spirit, like-minded, of the same love, of one accord and of one mind with me. Having the mind of Christ. And that's coming in the very next paragraph here. But let's wrap this up. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So that kills pride and personal ambition right there. Puts a spike right through its heart. Think of it as a vampire. Pride and personal ambition. I want to be seen. I want to be admired. I want people to think I'm something. Put a spike through that thing, man. As fast as you can. Show it a crucifix and, and make it reel back and horn. I'm not saying it's how it really is. You, know, you understand the, the, the sarcasm or the facetiousness that's in there. Certainly the humor. But put a spike through its heart. Kill that spirit. And it's something that churches have to be careful about because they're... There are certain avenues of exposure and of blessing and of service that, that are possible within a church that then certain people can get lifted up in. 
They can become proud of it. They get, they get to thinking that, that they are something beyond what they actually are. Or the apostle says, don't do anything through either strife or vainglory. Don't let any of it be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And this, this harkens back to what Jesus said in the Gospels, what our Lord said concerning he that would be great among you, let him be the servant of all. He took what is the what is the, the normal, natural understanding of a hierarchy and, and what people in their fallen state strive for, always looking for a higher position, wanting to have authority over other people, wanting to run things. Hillary Clinton even made that statement many, many years ago, and it was very, very, it was very revealing concerning her character. She said, and this was long before she ever went to the White House as the wife of the president, if you will. She said, I want to run something. The thing about interviews, especially if you're a politician, is that stuff gets recorded. And then it gets brought back up, often at the most inconvenient times. Jesus took the understanding of that kind of a hierarchy and he turned it completely upside down. You want to be great in the family of God and the body of Christ? Be the servant of everybody. You want to be great? Be a servant. It is a call to practiced, practiced, Humility. Humility isn't just a state of mind. Oh, I'm humble. Really, I'm humble. See how humble I am? I'm amazing at how humble I am. See that? Because people can even get proud of that sort of thing. C.S. Lewis uh, uh, touched on that, actually explained it very, very well. Pride, uh, proud, of, uh, proud of humility is actually a real thing. It's a real problem. It can be a real problem in someone else. But Paul here, telling us not to do anything in strife or in vainglory, says... In lowliness of mind, let each of us, every single one of us, me, you, all of us, let each of us esteem one another better than ourselves. Let each of us esteem one another more worthy of ourselves. And Paul wasn't speaking on credit here. He was not teaching this or writing this on credit at all because he said in another place, he said in another place concerning, I want to say that it was in Galatians, concerning himself when comparing himself to the other apostles, he said, of whom I am the least. And it wasn't false humility. He really believed that about himself. It may seem laughable to us now, knowing that he wrote 14 of the New Testament letters, far more than any other book of the Bible's single authorship. Paul wrote 14 of them. 14 of them! He pretty much spelled out the overwhelming majority of how we do the Christian life or how we ought to do the Christian life. And yet he was convinced in his own heart, I am the least of all of the apostles because he said, I persecuted the church. And that was something that seemed to haunt him, even perhaps as a different kind of thorn that was in his side. Uh, through, I don't want to say through the end of his days, but it certainly haunted him up to the point where he wrote that. It was something maybe that he hadn't quite forgiven himself, or maybe he had forgiven himself, but just looked back on it sometimes, as we all do, when we think about that one horrible thing we did, yay, so many years ago. 
And we just shake our heads at ourselves. I can't believe that I got caught up in that. I can't believe that I did this. I can't believe that I said this as often as I did or to the people that I said them. Paul's attitude was that he was the least among his own peers. And it's an attitude to be emulated. It's an attitude to be practiced. Let me be a servant of everybody else. You have to remember our lives are not our own, not anymore. And that's just fine because when they were completely our own, when our lives were altogether our own, what did we do with them? We lived in sin. We lived in rebellion. We lived in anger. We lived in wrath. We lived in lust. We lived in uh, lies. We lived in all of these different things. We were in need of a savior. Okay, well, now we have been saved. We have been bought with that price. Every crime we committed against the God of heaven, forgiven and washed away. But there's still a price. So all the price was his blood. Yes. But the price for us keeping that free gift is that our life is not our own anymore. It's his. And so if we're his and he would that we be servants one of another, well, then let us be servants one of another. That doesn't mean that you let your brother or sister take advantage of you. It doesn't mean that you... Um, doesn't mean that you burn out on some other, someone else's obligation or your own obligations to someone else in order to handle something else. It doesn't mean that. It just means being willing and then actually doing it when the need arrives and there's something that can be done to bless a brother, bless a sister in Christ, to be a servant to them, to be a help to them. Love one another as brethren. Don't let anything be done in strife or in vain glory. And in verse 4, he even he takes it even further than that. He says, well, let's back up to the previous verse. He says, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He said, well, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so is. Not thinking like that, nobody is. The moment that you actually get to thinking that, that we're anything at all above our station, then we have forgotten the first rule of discipleship. We have forgotten that we are nothing without God and that anything that we are, we are by the grace of God. Because were it not for His grace, we would be every bit as bad as we ever were and probably worse by now. Really. Really. So we keep that in mind. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Then he goes on and says, look not every man on his own things after his own affairs and his own priorities. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He doesn't speak of meddling. He's not talking about becoming a busybody in other people's affairs, but it's an admonition to us to not be caught up and obsessed with our own battles, our own priorities, our own affairs and things that need to get done and have blinders on and have absolutely no concern whatsoever for, for our own brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. Now, he doesn't say to just cast off your own things. He uses the word also there. It means that in addition to your own obligations, your own priorities, 
your own, the affairs of your own house, so to speak. You just lump it all under that. In addition to the affairs of your own house, which all of us as responsible, we we're talking about responsibility Sunday morning, as responsible men and women in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, in addition to that, let us also look upon the affairs of others as wanting to be helpful and willing to be helpful. And it takes real humility to do that. And it takes something more than humility too. Let me tell you something else that it takes. And it, it terrifies. It terrifies some people. It takes a kind of death to yourself. It really does. A willingness to die a little bit. Or possibly a lot, depending on how... Uh, depending on how focused a person may be on their, their own affairs, their own problems, their own things that they have going on. It takes a kind of death to yourself and to your own will. It certainly takes a kind of death to the flesh to be willing to throw in behind another. It's one thing that I love. I absolutely love it about rural culture, whether it's farm culture, ranch culture, even to a lesser extent, small town culture, okay? There's something that I love about that kind of culture is that people look after one another. They look after one another. You see it exemplified in certain communities, some, some communities more than others, but you see it exemplified, at least by reputation, among groups like the Amish that'll do things called a barn raising. When somebody builds a barn, they'll all throw in and help raise the walls on that thing and put that thing together. Everybody in the whole community will do that. When construction, we did, uh, to an extent, we did the same thing. Many years ago, when I was an electrician full-time, I worked in this place called a modular home yard. It was a production yard where we built modular houses. They weren't trailers, they were modular homes, and they were built, they were built to spec, and they were, they were, they were awfully stout things. But, Several of the trades would be active in the yard at any one time. Framers would be working at the same time as electricians and plumbers and sheetrockers and, and insulators and roofers and all of that. The, they would be there often at the same time, not working on the house, same house at the same time, but working on different houses in the yard that were being built. And it was a common thing. It was a common thing when the framers got finished because framers would frame up exterior walls down on the deck of, of, uh, of the house, on, on the main floor, on the sheathing. And when it was time to raise those walls up to an upright position, then all of the trades, or a lot of the trades that were there in the yard at the time, would drop what they were doing, and they'd all head over to the one house that the framers were working on, and then we would all help stand the walls. Well, we could have had a stank attitude of, that's not my job. That's not my job, that's the framer's job. Let them do their own job. I got a house I'm trying to wire here or plumb or sheetrock or insulate. But there was, even, in, even among sinners, among unbelievers, in that one particular setting, it shows what happens when a few people get selfless and open their eyes to the bigger picture. Now, of course, the electrician cares nothing for the plumber's job. If anything, he has to work around the plumber's job. And of course, the plumber doesn't care about the roofer's job. And of course, the roofer doesn't care much about the framer's job, except hopefully the walls don't fall down when we're trying to put a roof on the house. 
But see what happens when there is, even in this one small natural little example, see what happens when there is unity of purpose among a group of people working to a common goal. In that example, they were working to create a house that someone was going to live in that wasn't going to catch fire or fall down or flood itself. Well, in the body of Christ, can't we be better even than they? Surely we can. And Paul admonishes us to this. Look after the affairs, the things, he says. Look not every man on his own things. You could almost insert the word only after that. okay? And it would not lose its meaning. It would even clarify it a bit. Look not every man on his own things only, but every man also on the things of others. Unity, humility, and service to one another. All of that within this first paragraph. And then moving into the next paragraph, he continues it. He says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. We've heard about this recently. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being made in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. There is our example right there. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a king, took upon him the form of a boss. Calling shots, making calls, making things happen. You go here, you go there, you do this, you do that. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Can you feel that? Can you, can you feel that, that feeling deep in your chest, deep down in your guts? It's called humility. It's called humility. And when it first comes over a person, it can even be painful. It feels like a little death. And it is. It is a little death. It's a death to pride. And it's a death to self. And if it's a death to self, it's a death to self-interest. I'm willing to put someone else's affairs ahead of my affairs. I'm willing to make someone else's business my business and make it and make it my business first. You know what I mean? It does require a kind of death. But like so many things we encounter in the word of God that speak to us about how we ought to live and how we ought to be on the inside and then how we live that on the outside. It's it's worth the death. It's worth the cost. It's worth the price that the, 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 was it a Pharisee? Who was it exactly? Yes, it was a Pharisee came to Jesus. It was right after the Sermon on the Mount, came to Jesus as he was traveling from one place to another. And there were many of his disciples around and said, I will follow you whithersoever thou goest. All right. Well, that's the profession. That's, that's the, that's the commitment that we confess with our mouth. That's good. Okay. But what did Jesus tell that Pharisee? He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the son of the son of man have has uh, not where to lay his head has nowhere to lay his head. What was he telling the man? We remember this from our red letter studies uh, early last year. What was he telling him? If you're going to follow me, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you can expand that and say, if you're going to be a member of the body of Christ, it's going to cost you something. But don't be afraid of the cost. 
Don't be afraid of the price. Think about this for a second. You don't say this out loud. You don't have to. But just think about this. What was the most expensive thing you ever bought? House, car, computer, something. Maybe it was that fancy Italian Rado watch that was made out of space shuttle ceramic. Yes, that's actually a thing. Okay, saw it many, many years ago, so I had it explained to me. Maybe it was that, and you dropped like $3,000 for I don't know if it's $3,000 or $1,000, I don't know what it was. I don't have one, never have had one. But maybe it was that. Maybe it was a Rolex. Maybe it was some, some other thing. Whatever it might have been. You think about that. But you were willing to pay the price for it, weren't you? You were willing to pay the price for the house. Yeah, but I made it in payments. Yes, but you were still willing to make the, to pay the price. You were willing to pay the price for the car. You were willing to pay the price for the computer. You were willing to pay the price for uh, the suit or the dress or the shirt or the garment, whatever it might have been. You were willing to pay the price for fill in the blank. Well, what's the body of Christ worth to us? What is unity and humility and service in the body? What is the body of Christ worth to us as being part of it? What is it worth? Is it worth a little bit of death to self? Is it worth to even is it worth even sometimes a lot of death to self? Is it worth some humility of spirit and of mind to esteem one another at least as as high, if not better than our own selves? And we ought to have that mind. We ought to have that mind because we individually, you know what you're like. I know what I'm like. We individually know what we are like ourselves. We don't know everything about our brother or sister. So it ought to be easier to esteem them better than us because we don't know all their faults or their failings. Even if we know one or more of them, we don't know all of them. And we don't know their history. We don't know the things that they got delivered from. But we know the dregs that Jesus saved us from. Amen. So, maybe that's the core of tonight's lesson. What is the body of Christ worth to us? It's worth unity. It's certainly worth some humility. And it's certainly worth service. It's certainly, certainly worth service. But let's take this with us as we prepare to dismiss and as we depart, let's... Go back in, in, in the days to come before next week's Bible study and review it concerning consolation and unity and humility and so on. And letting this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus. And remember that Jesus is our example of all of this. He made himself of no reputation, though he is equal with God. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. And to finish that line was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. So I've got a problem with humility. I think too highly of myself. I don't like the thought of being a servant. Let me tell you how to solve that, okay? Because we don't want to just hold up a mirror and then look at it and then maybe not like what we see. I don't know if we like it or not, okay? But we want to actually show a way to, to change it. How do I get over the pride problem? How do I get over a distaste for humility? How do I get over an aversion to service? 
Humble yourself. That's how. Don't wait for God to orchestrate some circumstance or bring something to pass or or the devil even, okay, to do something that humbles you because that's far more painful. It can also be far more thorough, but it's it hurts. Humble yourself. Remember the example of our Lord who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So you have a problem with service? Find out if there's something you can do for the body of Christ, a brother or a sister or the church itself. Find out if there's some way that you can serve. That's a good way to crucify that aversion to serving. What's a good way uh, to, I don't want to say master humility, but to at least develop the humility such as you have, humble yourself and practice it. Look upon one another, not as people that are supposed to be serving you, but as people you're supposed to be serving. And just to keep it all straight. Remember how we said he took that hierarchy and he turned it upside down. To keep it all straight, he made ministers servants of all, above all. And so, man, that's something to consider right there. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.